one of my favorite things that I've read in the last little bit was a, I guess it would be an article, but it was a series of tweets, but they were from newspapers.com. It went all the way back to about 1875. And there were like 55 different headings of articles or um, editorials. And essentially every single one of them said, people don't want to work. You heard that today. Man, I tell you what, two years ago, everybody wanted to work. Nobody wants to now. No, 1885, they were still fussing about people not wanting to work. But the reason people fuss about it is because, one, people like to fuss about anything. But two, there's always a need for work to be done. There's work at home that needs done. There's work at jobs that needs done. Well, the reality is there's work in the church that needs to be done as well. And so when you're trying to hire an employee for a job, you might put out a few requirements. You might put out a few specifications, perhaps, for the job. I've got a couple of things here that I wrote down that I thought you might look for. You might notice on a job notification. You might see that they need to have organizational ability. You want a worker that's organized, right? You all may know people that are hard workers, but they don't seem to get anything done because they're disorganized. You might need an ability to work with others. You may know people that are like this, right? They're a good worker as long as you keep them by themselves. But the minute they get to somebody else, there may be conflict, there may be gossiping, there may be distractions, whatever it might be. You might see that you need an ability to motivate others. And if you're working, and you're working with somebody, and you want people to continue to work hard, not to slack off, perhaps. You might even see, and this one seems simple, but the ability to complete tasks. Some people are really good at starting things, but not actually finishing things. Well, those are pretty standard job requirements that you would probably see on any application that you might fill out for any job this afternoon. But that job requirements that we just went over work pretty well for deacons in the church also. And so today, we have, we're have we going to talk a little bit about the job of a deacon. And we've spent some time so far this year talking about keeping the church in order. And we talked about why the church worships the way it does, why we sing, why we study, why we preach, why we do all this. We talked about the job of the preacher. We spent a couple of different Sundays talking about the job of elders. And we're going to talk about this being the 11th one. We're talking about deacons. The next month we'll talk about teachers in the church as well. But we're going to look at the job of a deacon. And so I want you to think about this morning what the job of a deacon would be. And we're going to have several places that we will look and discuss as well. I want you to take out your Bible to start with, and we are going to begin in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. I want us to look at the first seven verses in Acts chapter 6. The book of Acts is a shortened name for the Acts of the Apostles, and Acts or Actions of the Apostles. And this is one of the actions that was performed. Let's start with verse 1 in chapter 6. 
Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in daily distribution. I'll stop there for just a second. In that first verse, we see a couple of groups mentioned. We see the Hebrews, which would be the Jewish people. We see the Hellenists here, which is the Greeks. And we use the word Greek often to be Gentile. But we're taking the Jew and the Gentile and we put them under one roof. Now we all know that originally Christ came to the Jews, but then they spread to the Gentiles. But you still have people that don't necessarily see eye to eye in a word that we would use today under one roof. And so we've got one group that says not being treated maybe the way that we should be treated. And guess what the other group would probably be saying? You're spending too much time on them. You need to be spending more time on us. So let's go to verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We'll come back and stop there for just a second. The twelve here, we're talking about the apostles, and they're looking at this and they're saying, we got a lot of stuff that needs to be done. You see, the church was growing quite quickly after the death of Jesus. And so if there's only two of us together, you know, we got to work again. But if there's 20 of us, or if there's 50, or if there's 100, there's work that needs to be done. And the apostles are starting to realize we are a little overburdened. We're trying to preach and teach, but they've got concerns about widows being treated. It's not that they weren't interested in the widows, but they said, I don't have enough time to get all of this done. So there has to be a plan, a resolution to this problem. Verse 5. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and the canner, and Thomas, uh, <clears throat> Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So what we see here is they said, we need some, we need some workers. And so they chose from among them seven men. Now I was thinking about that for just a second. Why choose from among you? Well, these are people that are going to be working with you, right? You ever had that person that works with you or that you've worked with and they get a promotion or something like that, but you still have to work with them some? Well, you kind of know them. You know what they expect. You ever had the person they brought in from somewhere else and they come in and say, do this, 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 and this, but they don't really know what they're talking about maybe? Well, sometimes we respond better to people who are with us. That's why when we chose deacons here a few years back, we didn't go to Harrodsburg or Somerset or to Louisville and say, you know, we need a deacon. Well, there are deacons in those places, but those deacons need to be capable of knowing what the people in the congregation need. So we're going to talk about qualifications for deacons here today, but the concept of a deacon first emerges in Acts chapter 6. There was a lot of work that needed to be done. Paul, the apostles, uh, these people, they had too much on their plate, as it were, so seven people were chosen. Now, the recommendation of who to choose was shown in verse 3. Let's look at verse 3 again in Acts chapter 6 right there. Number 1 says, honest rapport. Okay? Some would say a good reputation. Either one works right there. So you need to pick someone who has a good reputation amongst the group. Number two, 
full of the Holy Ghost. And when we say that, what we would probably refer to that today is someone very spiritual, right? Very interested in the church, very eager for the church. And the third thing there would be of wisdom. Because anytime you're working with other people, decisions will have to be made. Decisions that might affect more than one person. And there has to be wisdom that's included in that decision. So this section of Acts is kind of a, what's the word, prototype maybe, for the position of a deacon. But the actual requirements, what we will see in the requirements, will come a little bit later. So I want you to turn now to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Maybe put a bookmark or a piece of paper or something like that there on Acts. We may need to come back to it. But let's go now to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. If you were paying attention a few moments ago when Jimmy read, this is exactly what he read. And you may have seen a lot of the requirements. But while Jimmy was reading, you might have said, that sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> if you were here a couple months ago, we talked about elders. It's real similar what Jimmy just now read about deacons to the requirements that were put forth for elders as well. But I want to look at each of these that are listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Number one, Jimmy read there a moment ago that it must be reverent. Let's think about that word for a second. It needs somebody who's of serious mind, and it needs to be reflected in their character, released to be reflected in their conduct, and it needs to be someone who the people respect. Dad has told a few stories over the years of people who were in charge at his work. And I could just tell, you might not have said it, but I could just tell that there were some people that they all just truly respected. And there were some that just didn't get a whole lot of respect. Well, if you have somebody that's going to be a deacon in the congregation, it needs to be somebody that people respect. I would hope that that level of respect exists for everyone in this room. But that's a requirement that was put forth by, uh, by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Number two, not double tongue. You know this person, right? person who says one thing to one person and says something to another, says the other thing to someone else. And the whole goal of this person is to deceive, right? They're trying to cause chaos. You know, get you stirred up and you stirred up. Maybe y'all will fight with each other and they'll sit back and watch. Qualification number two there was to not be double-tongued. Number three, not given too much wine. And it's, we would just say not to be a drunkard right here. We saw those requirements with the elders as well. Number four, not greedy for money. People take jobs quite often because the pay is better. I don't necessarily fault them for that. It might be that that's what they need to help their family. But if you're taking a job as a deacon because you're wanting to get access to money, you're approaching it from the entirely wrong perspective. Because the money that's dropping here isn't yours, right? The money here is the church's to be able to spread the gospel around. People will sometimes take a job for greed. Number five, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. We read that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's think about that for a couple of minutes. Number one, that's the knowledge of the Word of God. Now, I am not going to sit here and tell you that every deacon needs to be able to quote every scripture that comes up. You shouldn't have, you don't need to walk up to a deacon and say, what does Zechariah chapter 2 verses 12 
That's a trick question, right? You're trying to stump somebody right there. But a person who's going to serve as a deacon needs to have an understanding, a knowledge of the Word of God. If you were to say, how many books are there in the Bible to a deacon? And deacon's like, I don't know if I've ever heard of the Bible. That may not really suit, right? You need somebody who has that qualification, their knowledge of the Word of God, but also a loyalty to the Word of God. There are lots of people in the world extremely knowledgeable about the Word of God, but maybe not loyal to the Word of God. There's a difference in that. You need both. And third, an application of the Word of God in their own life. Because there are lots of people who are knowledgeable about the Word of God. There are lots of people who would be loyal to the Word of God, but maybe don't necessarily apply it in their own life. And so when we think about qualifications, there has to be all of these pieces here. This mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Number six, the husband of one wife. We discussed this a bit when we talked about the elders, but if you look in Romans chapter 16 and verse 1, you'll see Phoebe mentioned. And Phoebe is mentioned as a servant, but the translation would mention her as a deaconess. Okay? The same kind of word is used. And so she is commended as a servant. But I don't want to go too deep into this because that's not really the service that we're going with today. But Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy 3 are where we see the requirements listed. And in both of these cases, we see Acts chapter 6 that to choose some men out of your congregation. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says uh, a, the husband of one wife. I don't really know. I'm not studying it enough because that's not where I wanted to go with this right here. But you can see that this concept of a deacon seems to emerge to me a little bit later. Okay, It seems to emerge a little bit later. Because it seems to me in Acts chapter 6 that the idea of a deacon comes up a little bit after the fact when the apostles realize we are overburdened. We are overworked. And so the requirements come forth uh, a little bit later. And I will look at that and talk about it more, but that's not really what I want to look at here today. Last, ruling their children in their own houses well. Now, when we think about the task of the deacon, well, I see serve, I see servant, I see service, right? Every New Testament term that's used to describe the deacons has serving as its main goal. Goal. Now I got three Greek words right here. I'm going to speak Greek to y'all right here. And y'all just shake your head and say, boy, that sounded great. Did, did, did a great job right here. I will tell you right now that no Greek training. I can't read Greek. We can all make the joke. It's all Greek to me. All that works, right? But let's talk about the terms that are associated. But more importantly, I'm going to look at where those are in the Bible. The first, the Akimos. A servant, a member of a, excuse me, a servant, a minister, or a deacon. Let's see where that is. First of all, Matthew 23 and verse 11. That he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That diaconus is huge right there. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's God, right? That was, that was Jesus uh, that we came uh, to, to serve. What about Philippians 1 and verse 1? This is Paul's first letter to the church of Philippi. He said, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, and with the bishops and the deacons. Bishops is elders, 
Deacons there is a minister, but diaconos is the word that would be used as well. First Timothy 3 and verse 8, likewise deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given much wine, not greedy for money, etc. that we just read a few moments ago. That's the Greek word diaconos. The second one, diakonio. This would mean to serve right here. Matthew 25 and verse 44. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, wouldn't we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not, the word here, minister. But minister there would mean to serve. Wouldn't we not serve you? Jesus responds and tells me often as you saw anyone and did not help them, you were not helping me is what he says there. We see Second Timothy, or excuse me, 1 Timothy 3 in verse 10, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. That's where we see uh, the requirement listed there that Jimmy read just a few moments ago as well. The third term, diakonia, would be service as well. Luke chapter 10 and verse 40. Sorry, you may remember we talked about it up here, but Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, which we just read. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. The point of this is to show you. Every one of these scriptures is talking about somebody who is doing work for someone else. The words that are used all go back to diakonos, diakoneo, diakonia, all of this, but it all goes back to this concept of a deacon. So every time we see the root word deacon, we see people working. We see people serving. We see serve, servant, service. Now, what does that work mean? Because if you apply for a job, the first thing you're going to ask is, what will I be doing? I need to know what the task is. Well, we can go to Acts chapter 6 that we read just a minute ago, and the primary task given to those seven men was to discharge the daily administration instead of serving tables, okay? taking care of the needs of people there within. This allowed the apostles the ability to accomplish what they needed. That was the ministry of the work. So the deacons oversaw the physical tasks that were done in the church under the oversight of the apostles. Now, we use this today because the elders are today shepherding the flock. The elders are making sure that the church is moving. And I say church as the people that are in it. You, the congregation, is moving in the right direction. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. That's a requirement to the elders. But I think if you want to talk to dad or to Kevin about the job of an eldership, they can tell you a whole lot about it. And it's a full-time job, I would imagine, gentlemen. And it's a distracting job. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but there's always something that needs thought about, done, or whatever. And so that's the job of leadership. But there's a task that may need to be done that doesn't necessarily require the elder. And that's where the deacon comes in. That's where the role of deacon comes in. So let's think about some examples of work that a deacon could do. Now, I 
pulled some of these on my own. I read some things. Just this is not an exhaustive list, but it's just an example of some things that maybe the deacons in the church would do. Building and grounds. Maybe it worked for you. Financials could be the work beneath. Communication, maybe operating the website if you have more uh, directories or technology or bulletins or whatever it might be. Outreach to people in the community and around the world. Teaching, all ages, from the littlest to the largest. Sometimes we make a distinction there. We'll talk more about that next month. Leading and serving in worship. Those are tasks, just some examples of jobs for a deacon. Now, some of you may have been part of or members of exceptionally large churches at some point. Maybe a couple hundred people. I know when we went to Richmond, the list of deacons was a hundred miles long. That's not possible in this building. There's 40, 50 people in our congregation. And so some of these jobs might have to be shared. But think about if nobody is serving in those positions. Then it becomes a task for one person. And I think about Brother Virgil here for a time, and he had to carry a heavy load in this congregation when the numbers maybe weren't as large. But now there are people, maybe more people here, and there are people that should strive for, should want to do these jobs. And that's what the task of a deacon should be. Now, this does not mean that the elder said, I ain't doing nothing. That's not what that means. They'll help. And that doesn't mean the preacher says, I'm not. But you have deacons set aside for work that needs to be done. Every time we see the word deacon in the New Testament, work, 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 work. There's jobs that need to be done. Kevin, is there anything you can think of at the church that needs done right now? Probably so. It's nice to have people that can do that. That's the task of the deacons. Now, What's the challenge to a deacon? I want to be a deacon, but what am I facing? Well, let's look at a couple of things. Number one, if God has blessed you with abilities and opportunities to be used in his service, then God can expect greater service out of you. There's a lot of people that can do a lot more, but choose not to. There's a lot of people that say, Ben can do that. Jameson can do that. Somebody over here, back that can do that. Let them do it. But if you are a deacon, if you are a member even, your goal should be to strive to do as much as you possibly can. But that's a challenge facing a deacon. Number two. Sometimes pride can be a downfall. Sometimes this desire to be great in the eyes of others might be what it is. I don't believe that's the case here. But there might be a case where somebody says, I want to be a deacon because I want my name on the front page of the book. I want my name on the sign as you drive in. I want my picture to be the one on Facebook when they show what the church is doing. I'm right up here in the front. Do pride sometimes get in the way of people? Sometimes people might do the job, not because I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this for the growth of the church, but I want to be the one on the front of the picture and people there in the back. That can be a challenge. Sometimes that little title 
can give your head a bit of swelling, right? Third challenge. Jesus has set the perfect example for all of us. And if we set, or if we follow him, we should be setting the right example for others. Now, Jesus was never a deacon in the church. You know, realistically, the church that we think of didn't exist until after Jesus was coming. But the work of the deacon is, in many cases, the kind of work that Jesus had to do. Because we don't see Jesus spending a lot of time sort of hoity-toity above the crowd, but Jesus was working constantly, oftentimes working with people who others looked at Jesus and said, why is he with them? Well, the challenge to the deacon is that there's work to be done with them if we want to use that work. It may not always be pretty. It may not always be glamorous, but it's work that needs to be done. Number four, a deacon is not an island to himself. You're expected to work well with others because the unity of the church, the body of Christ, depends on it. If you have a, if you have a deacon in the church and nobody likes them, they won't work with anybody, they don't want to help with anything, what do you have? You got nothing, right? But we just look at the qualifications back earlier that were presented and said we need somebody that can serve in that capacity. And the job of a deacon, the challenge is, is that when you're chosen, like they chose those seven out from among the people there uh, in Acts chapter 6, when they chose those people, they said, I trust that this person or these people will do the job. And that's what the church does when they appoint deacons as well. The work of the church, the body of Christ, the congregation itself depends upon it. Last challenge. Deacon is a tie. But it should symbolize the life and the work that you're willing to do. You may not meet the qualifications. I'm repeating something that I said a couple of months ago. There are people in this room for various reasons that do not meet the qualifications of being a deacon. There are people in this world that don't meet the qualifications for every job that's ever been posted. And if I don't meet the qualifications for one of those jobs, I'm not really worried about it. But even if I don't necessarily meet the qualifications of being a deacon in the church, I should strive to do the work of a deacon that's in the church. Because we may have one or two or three or four or five appointed deacons, but the reality is everybody should serve the way that they can show. Everybody should be striving to do as much as they possibly can. Because just like if there's only a couple people that show up, or if there's ten, it's a lot better when there's more people there to get the job done. And our goal should be whatever it is to strive to be a worker for God. The deacons have a valuable task of handling physical duties of the church. Leaves elders the ability to oversee, leaves the preacher the ability to teach, but it's a good work and it should be desired. And you may not be a deacon, you may not qualify to be a deacon, but like we said, we want to strive to do the work that we possibly can. Our church cannot succeed, or it will struggle to succeed without good deacons. And it must always be striving, looking to add more people capable of serving in that capacity. Uh, as well. And I would hope that you from time to time as members think about who your deacons 
and who your elders are. Because just like in Acts chapter 6, they were appointed, they were pulled out from amongst the people. You have to say in that. That's who you have. And if you have, and I'm, I'm speaking ahead of myself here, but if there's people that you think would be a good deacon, you should tell that to them. You should tell that to them. Because you know these people as well as anybody. And we should strive to have a deaconship that's willing to serve, that's willing to work, and that puts service of God before anything else. Each time we come together, we extend the opportunity for you to make changes in your life. And maybe you looked at this and you thought, you know, there's some things in those qualifications that I'd like to get a little closer to as well. But it might require me to get a little closer to God in the process. Well, whatever that may be, whatever you think you might need, that's what we're here for each time, right? We extend the opportunity. We extend the invitation for you to become a Christian if you've not been a Christian. Or you to maybe make changes in your life if you've made some mistakes along the way. But whatever it is, every time we come together, we extend it. And today is no different. We invite you to come while we stand and while we sing.